that's, that's the theme here this, this month. Our king has come. Of course, this is the theme every week. We wouldn't be here if a king had not come from heaven. Amen? It's so good to see all of you here in this inclement weather. But boy, I'll tell you, it's blessed in here. Jesus is in the house. Can you, can you sense it? Amen. I want to say hello to evangelist Scott and Gina Camp. Stand up and wave, Scott. Amen. He doesn't get to be here very often because he's always out evangelizing. That's what evangelists do. It's good to see him here for Thanksgiving. Amen. How many of you had a great Thanksgiving? Did you? How many of you had to repent for eating too much? Tell the truth. Okay, a lot of hands went up right then. You know what? I don't repent about that anymore. I believe God gave it to me. I'm going to eat it. I just don't worry about it anymore. But we had a great one. Now, my sweetheart had to slip out. She um, has my daughter who has to get back to Galveston, who was down here, and um, her friend. And, you know, I was thinking about Kathy. Some people look for an excuse to miss church. Kathy looks for any little reason to come to church. And here she has been going through these grueling treatments. And if she feels even a little bit of energy, you know, she has been in church both services throughout this whole ordeal. So I'm very proud of the grace of God on her. Amen. All right, I want you to stand with me because I'm going to talk to you today about part one. I'm just calling this Jesus was God. And I told you I was going to saturate you in Christology. That means I'm going to tell you who Jesus was and is and ever will be. Our faith is under attack in America. Not only are Christians under attack, but the God of the Christians is under attack. And that's okay. It doesn't bother God. Matter of fact, the Bible says he looks from heaven and laughs when he's attacked. But he is under attack, and a lot of believers um, are hazy about who Jesus was and is. And, And I think when you get your Christology down, that is, you really understand who Jesus was and is then it gives you a certain boldness to go out and talk about him and tell about him. So I'm going to pick a text that we're going to read four weeks in a row, and I want you to read it with me. It's Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. It's four verses, and out of those four verses, I'm going to bring four messages over the next four weeks. And I want you to read it out loud with me, good and loud, like you're the preacher and not me, okay? Because I love tormenting the devil by reading the Bible out loud, especially when it's really talking about the greatness of Jesus. Are you ready? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That is just a mouthful. I could preach on that for a year. That is so profound. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this profound description of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for a supernatural revelation of understanding to come upon the people of God in this sanctuary who will hear it by radio, who are watching over the internet. Lord, I pray that you will open our eyes to see the 
width, the height, the breadth, the depth of Jesus, who he was, who he is, who it is we've been worshiping today. Now, church, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, renew my mind today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God heard that prayer. He's going to do it. Amen. It's distressing to me how little in a lot of churches Jesus is explained and described and expounded upon. We need to hear a whole lot more than God wants us blessed with the best parking space at the supermarket. We need to hear about Jesus, who we just worshiped. And I'm going to tell you, you can go up to most people, and they're not going to tell you about Jesus, what I'm about to tell you today. Just out of this word. I was talking to my mother last night. She said, what are you talking about tomorrow? And I told her. I said, mother, I'm going to bring a message out from seven words. Who being in the form of God. And she said, I don't know how you do that, Jeffrey. She's the only one that can call me Jeffrey. Jeffrey, I don't know how you do that, how you can speak for 40 minutes on those seven words. Mother, I could talk a month on those seven words because the word of God is loaded with life. It pulsates with life. The word of God is quick. That means living, and it's powerful. And so we're going to talk about Jesus today. And again, taking four weeks to talk about these four verses This has been called the greatest description, one of the greatest descriptions of Jesus ever written in the history of the world. It is four verses that really solidify for us our Christology, what we understand about Jesus. Who saved us? You know, one day Jesus looked at his disciples and said, who do men say that I am? They said, well, some say Elijah, some say this, some say that, some say the other. Then he looked at his own followers and said, but I want to know what you say. Well, who am I to you? And that's when Peter became famous. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus admitted, he said, flesh and blood has not shown that to you, Simon, but my father who is in heaven. He understood who Jesus was. These verses describe what has been called his great condescension. Jesus condescended. That means he lowered himself, he humbled himself when he came to be a man. He left the glories of heaven and he stepped down into our world. He condescended to become one of us. When you look at that little baby in a manger that everybody is so sympathetic about and, oh, little baby Jesus, let me tell you, that was God wrapped in skin. And when Jesus did this, when he condescended, it was an incredible, humbling process. That's what these verses are telling us. He humbled himself. He left his position in heaven that that none of us could even begin to imagine uh, what it was like. He left that and became a man so he could empathize with us, sympathize with us, feel our pain, hurt with us, and eventually die for us and rise from the dead on our behalf. This is inexplicable condescension because he didn't stop with becoming a man. Then he allowed the very men that he created to mistreat him and to abuse him, to hang him on a tree. He didn't call on the angels of heaven to come and rescue him, though he said he could have. But he said, no, I'm going to be obedient all the way to the death 
on the cross. This is inexplicable condescension. God allowed man he created to kill him. For their sake. Now to really understand the profound nature of these verses. We see first that Christmas didn't start in Bethlehem. Christmas began way before. Christmas was conceived way before the little baby was born in a manger. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. Christmas began, are you ready? In eternity past. Before the universe was even created, Christmas was conceived. That is, Jesus gave himself to come and die for us in the eternal counsels of God. It was decided he would do it, that he would be born as a human being, a baby. That was decided before God said, let there be light. And that's just a mind blower. My mom said to me last night, she said, she said Jeffrey, I feel like my mind is a pretzel after talking to you. I said, Mother, I feel my mind gets like a pretzel when I study these things because some of these things, you have to accept them by faith. We can't comprehend the greatness of our God. That's why Paul said his ways are past finding out. He's an awesome God, a mighty God, a profound God. If he didn't simplify himself where we can understand him, we would never begin to grasp the greatness of God. So Christmas began in eternity past. You say, well, how could this be? Well, let's begin with the very first thing Paul tells us about our Lord. And let me tell you four things about Jesus every Christian should know. The first thing we see in this passage is Jesus was God. Can you say that with me? Jesus was God. See, we just worship God in the form of Jesus Christ. He, he was way more than a first century hippie walking around in sandals with long hair, loving on people, saying neat things that we quote today. Jesus was very God walking around on earth. When he looked at you, God was looking at you. He read your mail without ever being told a thing about you because he was eternal God. Listen to what the verse said. Who being in the form of God. Another version says, who being in very nature. God. Another one says, who, though he was God. Philippians 2.6. Now get this, Paul is telling us that Jesus was not just a representative of God. He was not just a spokesman for God. He, He was not just a teacher about God. But we're being told here, he was very God, the Son. And when he comes back, it's God coming back in the form of the Son. That's why every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. You don't bow every knee on heaven and earth and under the earth unless you are dealing with God. Who, though he was God, being in very nature God, being in the form of God. And you know that when you read the Bible, the Bible reveals that Jesus identified himself as God. He spoke of the glory of which he had with the Father before the world was. Listen to John 17, 5. And now, Father, Jesus said, now his disciples are watching him pray. Others are listening to him pray. Watch this. In front of them, here's what he says. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. 
catch that now. Because right there, Jesus is claiming deity. The glory I had with you before the world began. And we know this is one of his claims because it got him into all kinds of trouble with the Jews. John 5.18 says the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Then look at these next five words. Making himself equal with God. So Jesus left no, made no bones about it. He left nothing to a, a question mark. He clearly said over and over again when he was on earth that he was not a typical human being. But he was God, come to earth for you and me. And that's Christmas. Not just a little baby born. Man. Oh, a nice little baby Jesus. God visited us in the form of Jesus Christ. Now, if, if I know somebody today and they're walking around going, you know what, uh, Pastor Jeff, I, I just wanted to let you know that before God made the world, I, I was there with him, and I just thought I'd let you know I, I'm God. What are you going to think about him? You're going to be saying, wonderful. How long have you felt this way? All the while, you're dialing 911. <laughs> Either he was indeed, because I want you to see that the Bible doesn't leave us the option of saying, well, he was just a good man. He was just a good teacher. He was one of several world religious leaders that really rocked this world with their profound insights and their, their incredible charisma and all this stuff. He doesn't leave us that option. Jesus doesn't leave that option. You can't come away from the Bible and say, well, what, what do you think about Jesus? Oh, I think he was a great teacher. He was a great man. Uh, he was a, a, a great religious leader. No, he was not. No, friend. He was God. He was God wrapped in skin, incarnated to become one of us. So either he was God the Son or he was a delusional psychopath in need of a hospital. But let me ask you a question. Does a delusional psychopath teach the sublime things Jesus taught? Does a delusional psychopath heal the sick and raise the dead or live a short life of 33 years only to become the primary centerpiece of the human race to this day? No, he can't. So what are you doing with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? What have you concluded about Jesus? Who is he to you? I want you to know he doesn't leave you the option of just walking away from him as just another religious leader. He's not on the same level. He's not even in the same solar system of any other religious leader because he wasn't a religious leader. He was God's sacrifice lamb, God come to the human race to die for us and redeem us. And we see that after his death and resurrection, when the disciples went out preaching about him, this is what they said about him. They said that he was God. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, tells us plainly that Jesus, like God, was and is an eternally existing personality with no beginning and no end. Now, that's where your mind is bent like a pretzel because we don't understand something that has no beginning 
Because in our world, it's a finite world, we're all subject to time. We see things born, we see them grow up, we see them die. We see something created, we see it at its highest value, then we see whatever is created by man eventually ends up in a trash heap. That new Mercedes, that 2015 beautiful four-door sedan is 20, 30, 40 years from now going to be in some junkyard. Everything rots, everything decays in our world because we're subject to time. But God doesn't dwell in time. God dwells in eternity from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. And so watch this. So I know it's a mind bender, but listen, God never began and neither did Jesus. Listen to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word being Jesus, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, what beginning? The beginning of creation. When God flung the stars into space and said, let there be light and let the birds fill the air and the fishes the sea. When all of that was happening for the very, very first time, when God was creating everything we see, touch, taste, and smell, he was there. Jesus was there. Living Bible says this, before anything else existed, there was Christ. I'm going to read that again. Before anything else existed, there was Jesus with God. Then it says he's always been alive and is himself God, John 1, 1 and 2. So clearly the testimony of Scripture is that our Jesus who came into our hearts, who poured his love out on us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Jesus was God, and he's coming back. He's coming back. So can you say with me, he was God. Now, the second thing I see here in these powerful verses, he was the perfect mirror reflection of God the Father. If you want to know what God that you can't see, as a matter of fact, the Bible says he's invisible, Jesus said he's invisible. God the Father is invisible. But if you want to know what the invisible God looks like and what he is like, if you want to know what his character is like and the way he sees you, the way he feels towards you, the way he feels towards the human race, you need only look at Jesus. He's the perfect mirror reflection of God the Father. Colossians 1.15, listen to this. The Bible says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Hebrews chimes in with the same thing. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature. He's the exact, precise, unerring reflection and representation of God's nature. Jesus is. People say, I'm afraid of that God that's in the Bible, that Old Testament fire-breathing, you know, smoke everywhere, thunder, lightning, scary, frightening, where the people were afraid to approach him. You're just seeing a part of what the Bible says about God. If you want to know what he's really like, look at Jesus. That's what the Bible says, look at Jesus. And Jesus, again, he said this very thing about himself. One day he told a follower of his name, Philip. He said, if I've been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen 
the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Philip had said, you know, Lord, wow, I've been following you for a while now. Can you just show us the Father? And Jesus said, what are you talking about? Because as you've walked with me and you've watched the way I love and heal and deliver and teach and you've seen my character, you've seen my nature. He said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. Because I am the perfect mirror reflection of him. Look in your Bible and see his compassion on the sick and lost. Read the red ink. Just go home and look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the red ink. Read about Jesus. Look in your Bible and watch his compassion on the sick and the lost. Watch him heal and comfort the downcast. Behold his mastery in understanding the heart of man like no one else. Consider how the forces of nature obeyed his very word. Ponder all these things and know that as you watch him and follow his footsteps, he is perfectly reflecting God. So say with me, he was God. He perfectly reflected God. Now I see a third thing. Are you ready? He created all things. Our Jesus created all things. Well, wait a minute. I thought he was just God's son and, and, and came to redeem us. I didn't know anything about all that. Watch this. He, Jesus, created all things. Listen, John 1, 3. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing, nothing, nothing. You know what that means in the Greek? Nothing. was made without him. All things were made through him. And like I like to say, God don't make no junk. And God made you. And everything we can see, hear, taste, touch, and smell. Are you ready? He made it. The Living Bible says he created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Hebrews again chimes in. Listen to it. He, God, has spoken to us through his Son, through whom he made the world and everything there is. The New Living Translation says through the Son, he created the universe. Do you know that scientists to this day cannot fully plumb the universe? They they still have not gotten to the end of the universe. They always come back and say, we can't reach the end of the universe. It just goes and it goes. Solar system after solar system after solar system. It is unfathomable. It is unreachable. It is incomprehensibly huge. And I want you to know that that all came forth from the fingertips of Jesus. You know that I love nature. I do. I appreciate nature. As a little bitty guy, you're going to think I'm weird, but I'm just going to tell you. When I was seven years old, eight years old, I used to get uh, the World Book Encyclopedia. (laughs) You can picture me doing this, I know. And and I would go into the woods because I wanted to know what the birds were. I was so fascinated with the creation of God. I learned all the birds. I learned the reptiles. I learned the mammals. I wanted to know everything that was out there because nature fascinated me. Though I did not know God, I was fascinated with what he made. The Bible says he made the things we can see to teach us about things we cannot see, Romans 1. 
So I would go out there, and, and little did I know that God was watching down on little Jeff, and he knew just a few short years, and he's going to know me and understand where all this came from. So when I watch a, bird of, a beautiful bird sitting in the branches of a tree, they are marvels. And, or I consider how a gorgeous monarch butterfly crawls out of that lowly cocoon to spread its beautiful wings. He goes from a little crawly caterpillar that wants to only eat, 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 and he comes out, this beautiful creature, this butterfly. Or I think about the vast reaches of outer space like I was just talking about. I realize now that all these things came from the fingertips of the hands that were nailed to a cross for me. Those hands that were nailed flung the stars into space. Apparently, the creation of the universe went something like this. God spoke it, the Son amended it, and the Spirit brought it to pass. Jesus himself said in the Gospels, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Do you see what that's telling us? That there was and is a beautiful cooperation and unity between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in everything that is done. God speaks it, the Son amends it. All the promises of God are yea and amen in him. And the Spirit of God launches it. And that's where everything came from. Can I tell you the truth about something? If I was an atheist, and and really, truly, didn't believe in God at all, and you told me the theory of evolution, and I really thought it through logically and commonsensically, I couldn't believe it. Because you know why? It doesn't account for the beginning. I don't care how far back you go, big bang, whatever, that doesn't account for the beginning. And clearly, we're looking at a design. We're looking at something fashioned. We're looking at something made. And if you accept evolution, you can't accept the Bible because the Bible totally contradicts evolution. So, Jeff, don't tell me you're, you're an intellectual idiot that you don't believe in evolution. I feel I would have to become that to believe it. Seriously. I'm serious. Just logically, I can't follow it to the end. But what I can embrace is that clearly we're looking at a grand design that came from a grand designer. So say with me, Jesus was very God the Son. He perfectly reflected the Father. He created the universe. And I'm going to close with this. This is a mind blower. This is a mind bender. But I've got to tell you because this is part of Jesus. He is the literal sustainer of his creation. He sustains it. Are you ready? Listen to this. Colossians 1.17. All things, that means you. That means the chair you're sitting in. That means your house, your car, this building. Everything made up of atoms and molecules and protons and electrons. All things, everything. All things are held together By him. Now, that's amazing. And again, here comes Hebrews chiming in. He sustains everything, Hebrews 1, 3. He sustains 
everything by the mighty power of his command. Now we're going where angels fear to tread. We are going here in in something that most people never think about, but I want you to think about it with me. He is upholding, the Amplified says, he is upholding and maintaining and propelling all things, the entire physical and spiritual universe, by his powerful word carrying the universe along to its predetermined goal. Whoa. Let me blow your mind here for a minute. This means that by the word of Jesus, we just read it, by the word of Jesus, the universe is a cosmos instead of a chaos. Because of the word of Jesus, the universe is a cosmos, a unified, connected, cohesive cosmos instead of a crazy chaos. Without Jesus, the universe would fly completely apart. It would instantly implode and explode. That's what we're being told here. And this is the same Bible that gave you John 3, 16. If you call on the name of Jesus, you'll be saved. Listen to the profundity of the Bible. Listen to the profound statements being made. Listen to this. It's telling us about the very makeup of matter. Watch this. Without Jesus, the universe would fly apart. It would implode. He's the super glue that holds everything together. One commentator writes this. Were he to merely relax his grasp on the universe, every atom would come apart. Scripture says that the universe is sustained by his word. And you know what? It will end by his word. It's not going to come to some evolutionary climax and end via the process of evolution finally expiring. That's not the way it's going to end. The universe is going to end by the word of Jesus. Because right now he's sustaining it. It's being held together. Why does he still sustain this old world? I tell Kathy all the time, if I was God, I'd wrap this thing up today. I just wrap it up. I'm so tired of people hurting and violence and bloodshed and suffering. I would just wrap it up. So sometimes, you know, you go, why, why, Lord, are you sustaining this world? Why haven't you come back yet with all of its problems, all of its heartaches, all of its bloodshed, all of its wickedness? And I'm going to give you the answer. Here it is. He's not willing that any should perish. Listen, hell is so bad. Hell is so bad that it says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And and another verse that says the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. He is holding back. He's sustaining it. He hasn't let it go yet because somebody still needs to be saved. Somebody needs to be redeemed. And, And watch this. When Noah was building the ark, from the time God told him to build it to the time he finished it, it was 120 years. For 120 years, he was the mockery of his generation. Nobody believed him. He was that crazy old man at the end of the road building a boat where there was no water. Everybody thought he was a nut. The little kids made fun of him on the way to school. He was the brunt of everybody's joke, old Noah. But it says in Hebrews that Noah got a word from God. And it says, moved with fear, he prepared the ark to the saving of his soul. 
Noah got a word from God when there was no Bible. God spoke to him. After 120 years, and all the animals had gathered, and the ark was full, it was Noah and his family, and God knew not one person is going to get in to this ark. And it says, God shut the door. He didn't ask Noah to do it. And I fully understand why. Because when that door was shut, rain started to fall. And something was seen that had never been seen. You see, his whole message was, something is coming out of the sky that you've never seen. Because before Noah, the, the, the water or the earth was watered by a mist that came up from the ground. We're told that. The whole ecology of the world changed after Noah. So they'd never seen rain come from the sky. His message was something's going to come down from the sky you've never seen. Our message is someone is coming from the sky. Now watch this. God shut the door and the rain began to fall. Let us in. And Noah knew I didn't shut that door. The day came when the door was shut. Now, here's the message. This is why the most important question you'll ever answer is this one. Have you called out to Jesus to forgive you? Not where am I going to go to school, not what degree am I going to get, not where am I going to live, not who am I going to marry, not what am I going to wear, not how much money am I going to make. None of those questions are the most important. The most important question is what are you going to do with Jesus? I'm presenting Jesus to you today who the Bible says he is. Just as Noah's door was shut, the door will shut on salvation. And the Bible describes exactly what's going to happen when by the word of Jesus, it all ends. Listen to this. This is heavy stuff. I know. But listen. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements, remember that word, elements, will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be dissolved, burned up. Now, the Greek word for elements, you're not going to believe me when I tell you this, but it's true. The Greek word for elements here means the building blocks of the universe, which is the atom. And the word dissolved means unloosed, loosed. It's the Greek word luo, loosed. Here's what we're being told. This... this, First century former fisherman. This is what blows me away. You know who wrote this? Telling us about the building blocks of the universe. Old crusty, sun-baked, uneducated Simon Peter. Follow me, Peter, and I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. Well, look what he became. He went from simple fisherman to an intellectual giant. Listen to this. Simon Peter is telling us by the revelation of the Holy Spirit that the day will come when God will let go of the nuclear forces that hold the atom together. He's going to let it go. And every atom is going to come apart. And that fully explains everything being in a meltdown. The result was a deafening noise. Peter wrote, there will be a deafening noise accompanied with a universal meltdown. That's where the earth 
is headed. And that's the way the world as we know it is going to end. Now, I want you to breathe deep and say, whoa, this is, turn to your spouse and say, Mary, this is heavy stuff. Now watch. Breathe deep and let's return to the first seven words of our text. Say with me, who? Being in the form of God. Paul is reaching back to a time way before the first Christmas in Bethlehem, way before the creation of the world. He's reaching back, back, further back, ever more back, way back in eternity. And there in eternity past is where Christmas was first conceived because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had a conference. They knew that man would be created, and they knew he would fall into sin. They had to know because of what I'm about to read to you. And so the plan for man's salvation was decided way back there. We would be redeemed by blood, the blood of God the Son. God the Son said, Father, I will become one of them. I'll live a sinless life. I'll then give my life for the redemption of the world. And I will rise from the dead on their behalf. You know how I know this is what was said and what's true? Listen to 1 Peter 1.20. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. There you go. Long before the world began, he was chosen to be our ransom. Do you know when Christmas began? Way back then. All the baby being born in the Bethlehem, in that little manger, that was just a manifestation of what had been decided and decreed eons before. So as Christmas approaches, let's remember that very God became very man. He lived a sinless life. He was killed on the cross as a common criminal, spilled his blood for our sins, and rose from the dead on our behalf. Can we stand together and thank God for so great a salvation?